podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Yeah. Welcome to Between Two Bears, the newest 1012 Network podcast. Uh, this is Matt is Bear. I'm going to introduce my co-host, Evan A. Bear, uh, to give you a quick idea of what the show is about. Yeah, Between Two Bears is going to be a. It's going to be a great. Sorry, Between Two Bears is going to be a great look at the silly and sometimes stupid. Between Two Bears is going to be a great look at the silly and sometimes stupid side of Baylor sports. Hey, I'm going to try one more time. Between Two Bears. Okay, uh, Evan. Evan's going to go take a nap. Um, but we are excited to join the 1012 Network along with the rest of their already great lineup of Big 12 podcasts. Check them out at 1012 Network on Twitter and us as well at Matt is Bear and at Evan Haybear. Uh, Sickum Bears. Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Metz. Today, we are continuing our opponent preview series. No, we don't have a ton of takeaways from Big 12 Media Days because, let's be honest, a lot of the stuff that was said is all the coach speak stuff that we're used to hearing anyway, and we did cover that over on Blue Wings Rising. But it is important that we continue to move along and talk about the opponents that the Kansas football has coming up. Sure, we'll get some insights from Media Days, all that fun stuff, but to join me, or joining me now... Uh, to tell us everything about the TCU Horn Frogs, it is friend of the podcast uh, here, Melissa Trebwasser of Frogs Today. Melissa, how are you doing today? You know, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm sitting here in AT&T Stadium. We just wrapped up on the, the second day of Big 12 Media Days. I got to hear all that lovely coach speak that you referenced earlier, but uh, it's, it's been a good day. It's fun to be – it makes it feel like football season's just around the corner, right? Oh, I know. Uh, this is – the quote-unquote official start of the football season, even though we've all been thinking about football um, for quite a long time before then. You know, I'm in the middle of a 100-day countdown to Kansas football returning and made it halfway through uh, with only missing one day. So I was pretty pretty stoked about that. But let me tell you, Big Toll Media Days, there's been some interesting stuff, like the fact that Brett Yormark, like his opening remarks were, were great. But uh, I don't know that I was really surprised by anything at Big Toll Media Days. Was, was there anything specifically for the Horn Frogs that was – interesting that you heard or you know is making you feel better about the team coming up this season i mean i think just the weirdest thing was for the first time since TCU joined the big 12 they were represented by somebody other than gary patterson during media days and they've never had anyone else speak for them at this event other than gary patterson and to uh, to see sunny dyke take the podium for the first time in front of the entire conference and to also have steve artesian talk about having gary patterson on his staff and and Matt Campbell, you know, referenced it being weird that Gary wasn't here. I, I mean, I think that was probably the biggest thing. But, you know, the other thing, too, is, is when you look around at the list of who opponents brought, I think Oklahoma was the only team to bring a quarterback. So if that tells you, or maybe Oklahoma State as well. So if that tells you anything about the uncertainty going into the conference, uh, you know, the, the fact that so many of these, these programs are going into fall camp not having officially named a starter, uh, I guess that gives me hope because it really feels like it's as wide open as it's ever been. Yeah, kind of. I mean, Kansas brought their quarterback, but to your point, like uh, Lance Leipold refused to 
confirm that he is the starting quarterback. Yeah. Everybody knows he's the starting quarterback. He would have to mess up horribly in order for him to not be the starting quarterback. But, you know, there is some uncertainty. There are some people that are kind of, um, you know, questioning exactly what's going on with a lot of the quarterback situation. And honestly, the fact that Spencer Sanders was named, you know, the preseason all Big 12 team quarterback was, yeah. was a little surprising to me. I'm going to be completely honest. I thought that some of the other guys yeah. would be hyped a little bit more, but that that does tell you there's a lot of uncertainty at quarterback. There's a lot of uncertainty across a good portion of the offensive line or the offensive positions um, across the entire conference. So, so for TCU, obviously brand new coach, Sonny Dykes coming from, from SMU. Um, Got to ask you first, I, I know you've answered this in some, in some other places. I think I heard you over on the wide right Natty light uh, night, the, the nightcap, but talking about Sonny Dykes, him being named as the head coach, what's it like having a guy who was previously at SMU over leading the Horn Frogs? I mean, to me, like, listen, SMU has beat TCU the last few times, these two programs have played. And so for me to sit here and say, oh, it's not a real rivalry rings a little bit hollow, especially the SMU fans. Um, I definitely think that there's more ill will from the SMU side of things that there is like rubbing it in your face from the TCU side of things. Like if the frogs had gotten Dave Aranda or, or Joey McGuire to come over, then maybe there's a little bit more vitriol. But, you know, I think it's the, the question has been more, can Sonny Dykes, you know, he's had one power five job, although calling Cal football a power five job is a little bit disingenuous based on the support their administration does or does not provide. <laughs> um, but, Shots but you know, he, he was not, yeah, he, he, I mean, it's just a fact. Um, you know, he was not super successful there. And so can he take the success he had at SMU where this team started the season really, really strong, but in their ranked matchups tended not to come out on top. Um, but can he take the additional resources of being in the Big 12 conference and having an administration fully behind the football program and, and actually turn TCU back into a winner, get them over the hump, get them past the last four years of, of just being a very average to below average football team and, and use his knowledge and understanding of NIL and, and recruiting to, you know, maximize the opportunity here. Um, I, I don't think, I think the only thing that TCU fans hold against him as far as being at SMU is that how good was SMU really versus how good they should have been. And is Sunday Dykes a good enough coach to make that jump, which, which I think that he's shown, at least on paper, he's doing the right things to, to prove that he does belong at this level. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I've seen anything from Sonny Dykes that makes me think like he's out of his element or anything. Um, I definitely think there will be some, you know, learning curve and some big adjustments going from, you know, SMU football and the conference that they were in to TCU and, and the Big 12. Like there's, I, there is, it is impossible to not recognize it as a huge step up in competition playing week in and week out big 12 opponents. Um, even though you yeah, know, there are some sure. opponents that are, pro- that would probably fit in pretty well on their prior schedule for the most part, like the, that grind week in and week out playing a big 12 schedule is huge. It's difficult to, to get used to. And it'll be interesting to see how Sonny Dykes handles that in his first year. You know, you looked at Lance Leipold last year in, in a kind of a similar situation, trying to bring his system in, trying to do things the way that he typically did it while he was at Buffalo and, you know, times before that. And it was difficult, a huge step up in competition. Um, you know, you don't necessarily have the athletes that you, you know, would need to, to be able to compete on a, on a talent basis with some of the better teams. But the goal is obviously to try to maximize what you have. Um, I do wonder, like there, there were some interesting comments that I saw today kind of talking about how TCU and, and we'll actually go ahead and jump in, like talking about the offense for TCU's offense. I, you know, I think the biggest storyline 
isn't even the quarterback and the uncertainty there. It is the offensive line. And, and there, there were some comments made um, at Big 12 Media Days today talking about how, you know, they think that that's going to be a strength for TCU, um, given the issues that it's been in the past. Um, when you talk about it being a strength, like how much how much are you worried about it? It's it's better than it was, but it's not necessarily back to where it needs to be. Or how much of that do you actually think is that this is going to be a legitimate strength for the team this year and something that they can rely on going into the Big 12? Well, I mean, I think if you look at, at last season in particular and, and parts of the 2020 campaign, too, it, the offense wasn't really the problem. Uh, you know, they went through, I think, three different quarterbacks took snaps um, in 2021 for TCU because of injuries. But they were scoring points. They were moving the football. The problem was the defense was a literal seed. And when you've been a program that's been defined by having one of the best defensive lines in college football and you're allowing over 200 yards a game rushing from your opponents, um, it's really hard to put the onus on the offense. I mean, they, they couldn't they couldn't stop anybody. SMU had, I think, three different guys rush for over 100 yards against the Frogs. And so the offensive skill talent has absolutely been there. Uh, the quarterback position has had some issues and some questions. I mean, Max Duggan, you know, we, we know who he is, which means we know who he is. And it also means we know who he isn't at this point. And Chandler Morris had, you know, a, a game for the ages, but wasn't able to replicate it, let alone stay on the field. And so um, I think the offensive line is, is what we went into this new regime thinking was the biggest question mark. But, you know, Sonny Dyke today said he thought it'd be the biggest strength of the offense. Um, when you pair that with the wide receiver talent that, uh, I mean, it, it's just littering that program with Clinton Johnson and A. Barber, Darius Davis, uh, Quincy Brown, Savion Williams, uh, the tight ends, the various Spivey, uh, you know, Rod, DeAndre Rogers. I mean, there's just, on paper, there's no reason why this offense shouldn't be elite. Uh, Kendra Miller and the running back crew is also strong. So if the offensive line is as good as Sonny Dyke is making us believe, and he says the biggest question mark is the quarterback position, uh, I think once they name a, a starter and get them you know, instituted into the role, uh, you would expect this team to put points on the board. The bigger question mark to me is, can the defense do enough to stop people after being a turnstile for the last two seasons? So I, I do have a lot of confidence in this offense. I think Sonny Dykes, uh, his, his uh, system fits the talent really, really well. Um, it's just going to be a matter of who's throwing the football and is that person staying upright while they do it. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I do wonder, though, because you talk about how the offense was – you know, an issue, I'm sorry, wasn't an issue last year and it was mainly defense. But, you know, when you look back at a lot of the games that they played, you know, when they played against good defenses, they did have struggle scoring. They only scored 17 against West Virginia, only scored 12 against Kansas State, 17 against Oklahoma, and 14 against Iowa State. Like, those are teams that have probably top, you know, half of the Big 12 defenses that, that TCU had a lot of problems with. Um, you know, they scored really well against teams that, you know, had defensive issues, you know, getting 31 against Kansas, getting 30 against Baylor. But if I remember correctly, that was a game, I might be thinking about the year before, but that was a game that was really close going into the fourth quarter and stuff exploded. Um, that was, yeah, that was a, the, the 2020, the 2020 game. Oh, that, that's the game I was thinking of that was the overtime yeah. stuff. Okay. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, it still is like one of those things where I, I think it's tough to say that the offense was super consistent last year. Um, and about how much of that was quarterback issues, how much of that was offensive line issues, you know, that's definitely up for debate, but it seemed to me watching from the outside that it was at least 50, 50, like there was unsettled quarterback play, but the quarterbacks were running quite a bit for their lives because the offensive line had yeah. issues. 
Well, and it's also, I think, just the system. I mean, Gary Patterson, other than that, you know, those anomaly years in 2014, 2015, has, has always wanted to play complementary football, which means that he wanted his defense to be in the best position to look good. Uh, and and in doing so, he really limited what the offense was able to do. And so I think that part of it is you had a lot of square pegs and round holes from an offensive standpoint. You had an offensive line that was uh, not only inconsistent and at times flat out bad, but was pretty banged up. And then, like I said, they started three different quarterbacks over the course of the season. And so, um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and try to argue that the offense was good last year, but I think that most people who watched you know, every snap of that season would tell you the offense wasn't necessarily the problem. It doesn't mean that they were the solution because BC was not a very good right. football team in 2021. Um, but it wasn't necessarily because the offense was holding them back. I, I still think you have to look at the defense and the position that the, de- the, the offense was put in, as well as um, just the, the turnovers that come with, you know, having a quarterback running for their life. Um, and Max Duggan was, you know, when he was on the field, he wasn't healthy. Uh, he was injured really early on in the season. He had that foot injury that he continued to play through until he couldn't. Chandler Morris absolutely torched Baylor um, in that insane game after Gary Patterson was fired. Um, and then they kind of came back down to earth after Morris got hurt. Max Duggan tried to come back and play. Sam Jackson played a, a, a couple of snaps and separated his shoulder. And so when you saw a healthy TCU offense, it was clear that they weren't holding the program back. But at the end of the day, yeah, they didn't do enough. I, I just, I, I do think that the skill talent is, is as exceptional as anybody's when you look at Kendra Miller and Quentin Johnston alone. I mean, those are two potential all-conference, you know, all-American type talents and athletes. And in the system where Sonny Dykes really does just look to get the ball to his most talented players in a position where they could be successful, I think that, that this offense can really turn the corner to being not just good, but potentially elite. No, no, and that's fair. Like, it, it's it's definitely fair to say that you know, if you're looking for places to put the blame more, it's it's on the defense. And Kansas fans are very familiar with that, where you have a, you know, a, an offense that has been so horrible that even a defense that's actually pretty good ends up wearing down after the second quarter because the offense isn't doing a single thing. So, and look, there might be some debate, okay, about whether it's the offense of TCU or the defense of TCU that was more to blame from last year. But there's one thing that is not debatable, and that is how absolutely fantastic sponsor here on the podcast, Home Field Apparel, is. Home Field Apparel has the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers, a whole bunch more. They have 125 different schools. They are actually adding the last Big 12 school, that is Kansas State. Uh, I do think it's kind of appropriate that they are the last Big 12 school being a Kansas fan. But you know what? That's just me. They have a fantastic TCU line, a fantastic Kansas line. I'm wearing the Kansas stuff right now. It's great stuff. I promise you will find plenty of things, whether it's your favorite school or 15 other random schools that just happen to have the most fantastic logos you've ever seen and that you have to have them right now. So head on over to homefieldapparel.com, use promo code CHOCK12, get 15% off your entire first order and all orders over $100 get free shipping. It is a fantastic deal. I can guarantee you if you head on over there, you're going to find plenty of stuff to make it worth it and to get yourself that free shipping. So one more time, homefieldapparel.com, promo code CHOCK12, gets you 15% off that entire first order. Like, the the fact that one one uh, unit being pretty bad can make the other one look even worse than they actually are is definitely believable. I, I do wonder, and, and I had forgotten about just how many injury issues there were with, with TCU's yeah. quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, and, and that seems to have been a recurring thing. Duggan has had several years that have been cut short due to injury issues and you know TCU has had multiple quarterbacks 
um, I believe it was whether it was going into last year or the year before where they had six quarterbacks on the roster and the yeah. health questions about three of them. <laughs> like this has been a recurring issue for TCU. And obviously you can't expect Sonny Dykes to fix it in one off season. Um, even, even with the differences in the transfer rules and the, the way that the portal works and everything, um, you know, it, it's going to take some time. The question, I guess, then after the offensive line becomes, what are your thoughts on, on the quarterback situation? Who do you think, like, is it Duggan's job to lose or is there enough competition there that you really don't know who is going to be the guy? Well, I mean, I think when you, you look at Max Duggan, I mean, the only, prior to his junior season last year, the only time that he missed because of injury was he sat the first half of TCU's first game against Iowa State in 2021 or 2020 um, because of a, or sorry, in, in uh, yeah, it was in 2020 because of a heart condition that they weren't sure if he was ever going to play football again. Uh, but he, he, you know, came in the second half, almost led TCU to an amazing comeback victory. And then until the foot injury this year, you know, played every snap of every game that was a meaningful snap. Um, he's, he's proven himself to be incredibly tough and um, incredibly strong-willed. Uh, Dykes went on and on and on about his intangibles, the way that he leads the team, the way that he leads the locker room, the way that guys play hard for him. He's that type of motivator. Um, but that being said, Dykes is also very clear to say that, you know, between Chandler Morris and Matt Duggan, neither of them have really just jumped out and, and taken the starting quarterback job. Um, the way that he spoke today during media, Thursday during media days was a lot of it kind of fell around the fact that, that it seems like Max Duggan currently has the upper hand, but that neither player has done enough for him to be able to name a starter today. He did also mention that it seems that when fall camp starts and when they first report to practice on August 2nd, that he said that, you know, in his history, he kind of been a pretty wide open quarterback battle. One guy has shown up looking just markedly improved and a lot more ready for day one. And, and I do expect that to happen. I do expect that to be Max Duggan. So um, both guys are going to have every opportunity to, to win the starting job. He seems very, very committed to, to making sure that there's an open competition. But just based on kind of what he's been alluding to and the hints that he's dropped, it seems that Max Duggan is going to be the starter, barring some dramatic um, just summer improvement by Chandler Morris. He just hasn't proven to be as consistent as what Sonny Dykes wants his quarterback to be to this point. Yeah, I I will say, while, while Duggan has played pretty much every snap like you were talking about, um, I definitely think that there are times where I can remember it seemed like he was playing injured and not playing as effective as he can be. Um, you know, being available is definitely a good thing. Um, but the question then becomes if, you know, was he was he in all of those snaps because they didn't really feel comfortable with who was going in and he felt like he was good enough? Or was it really a situation where he was, you know, good enough and then just had performance issues with, with some of the games that he had. Cause I do remember there being legitimate questions going into last year of was Duggan ever going to be able to step up? Like, was he going to be able to, to hit those heights that a lot of people expected? And I think there's a lot of people that still think that his career overall has been a disappointment compared to what they expected him to be able to do by this point. Um, you know, what? do you see this being the year that he takes that step forward and, the, and that we finally get to see the Duggan that, that everybody seems to think he has there for him? Well, I think it has to be, right? I mean, he's heading into the senior season, and, you know, if he wants a professional career, if he wants to keep playing football after this year, um, and, and I guess he gets a COVID year if he wants it, but, but this is his kind of his, his prove-it opportunity. And so, you know, to me, uh, it depends what faction of TCU fans that you talk to. Um, I think the ones that really study, you know, the 
to analyze the way the position is played will tell you that Max Duggan was never put in a position where he was going to have the opportunity to succeed because the system that was being run didn't fit his skill set. And so you look at the types of routes that Sonny Dykes wants, um, there's there's a lot more about getting ball to the receivers in space as opposed to trying to throw it 35 yards down the field every time. Um, you know, he's, he's got a couple of security blankets and Kay Barber and Darius Davis who, you know, could run routes and dug into fine and he's proven he can hit those routes. But, you know, he, he's not, if he's asked to throw the ball deep, you know, 10 times a game, like that's not his strength. I mean, the right. keep as a receiver spot and get it, but that's not where he's going to be successful. And so um, I, I think most TCU fans appreciate that, you know, Max is, work his tail off that he's taken a beating that he's done everything that's been asked to him and and you know maybe his completion percentage hasn't been great but it's improved every single year you know the touchdown interception ratio when he's been healthy has been good enough to win TCU games um, but at the end of the day like it just it hasn't all come together so I do think if he is a starting quarterback that if he legitimately wins the job in fall camp I think he's going to be good enough for TCU to absolutely make and win a bowl game the real question to me is, can he elevate his play to the type of level that will put TCU, who's picked to finish seventh in the preseason poll, in a position to be competing to make the baseball championship when November hits? And that's really going to be the difference. If you want him, if he is elite or even just really, really good, if he's a top three quarterback in the Big 12, TCU theoretically could be a competitor for a Big 12 championship. They could do what Baylor did a year ago. If he's just okay or kind of the same guy that we've seen for the past three seasons, the TCU probably it is finishing in the bottom half of the Big 12. And it's a disappointing year and a disappointing start for Sonny Dykes. And all of the positive momentum that we've experienced since spring ball will all go out the window so quickly. So it is a pivotal year for not just Max Duggan, but for TCU football and Sonny Dykes as a whole um, at a time when realignment questions continue to rise when the NIL when they're looking for more money and more support and that you know if the Bucks come out and go five and seven again uh, I mean you're in a really really bad position and, and Duggan is obviously a huge part of whether they're five and seven or seven and five or eight and five or or whatever else yeah I mean and and obviously he won't be trying to do it alone on on the offensive end um I I Normally, we talk a lot more about these other positions, but with with so big questions at offensive line and then quarterback, it kind of makes sense to focus there. But, you know, if they are to be successful, there's going to have to be other players involved, obviously. Um, who are the main guys that, that Kansas fans or other Big 12 fans are going to know by the end of the season, assuming that, the, that, that TCU has success? So, like, which receivers are you expecting to break out? Which running backs are really going to contribute? Well, I mean, to me, the the best offensive single offensive player that TCU has is Quentin Johnson and it's not close. Um, and I think if you look at his raw numbers again, you know, he's a guy that struggled to stay on the field because of injuries. He's got, I think 55 career catches. He could have 55 catches this season. Um, and it, the thing that I love about Sunny Dyke's offense is that he's going to see this six foot four guy with speed and say, I got to get him eight, 12 targets a game as opposed to the four or five he was getting a season ago and then the freshman year. And so uh, he has everything that the NFL wants. Uh, he's got the size, he's got the length. He understands how to high point the ball. Um, he had that great, you're too small play against uh, Oklahoma last year that everybody wanted to talk to him about. I mean, he, he can go, he's, and he's put on 15 pounds of muscle. He looks like a completely different person. And so he's a guy that's going to be a late first round, early second round NFL pick next spring if he stays healthy. Um, and he is a player that can, he should, could be a breakout, all big 12, uh, you know, uh, Broyles award finalist, 
you know, potential, you know, all-American kind of guy. He's got that kind of talent, but he's just never been in the position to really showcase it, and he's got to be consistent. So he's the one I'm most excited to see hopefully really, really blow up this season. Um, you know, with, with Zach Evans off to Ole Miss, I think Kendra Miller has a chance to prove that he wasn't a number two last year, but he was a, a 1A or a 1B type running back. He's not Zach Evans, but pretty damn good um you know when he same thing he struggled with injuries too but when he was healthy he was so dynamic he's physical he's fast he can cut on a dime and you aren't going to catch him in the open field so he could be an absolute difference maker at that position especially if the offensive line is a little bit stronger and to be the most intriguing player that nobody has ever heard of and uh, is former mississippi state tight end um, he spent last year at TCU, but never really got an opportunity to showcase anything. I'm sure Carrius Spivey. Apparently, he has been one of the breakout stars of the offseason. Um, he's big, he's physical, and TCU has not been known for throwing the ball to the tight end very much over the Gary Patterson era. But he's a guy that could get a handful of catches a game. Um, everything that Crowell should have been at TCU if he had been utilized, uh, Zorcarius Spivey has a chance to be all that and more. And uh, you know, in the in the Big Twelve, there just aren't a lot of really dominant tight ends, um, and so I'm, I'm thinking that he, if he's used a little bit like Matt Campbell, has used some of his great tight ends at Iowa State. Spidey could be a guy that a lot of people are talking about late in the season, and, and somebody who's just a real matchup nightmare for teams because he can run up at the receiver, at a backer, at a true tight end position too. Yeah, I mean, there there are a lot of skill position players on TCU that I think would be very successful. Um, you know, if they if they or I should say would have been very successful last year as well, you know, if they were on a team yeah. that had been able to showcase what they what they're able to do. So it will definitely be yeah. interesting to kind of see how that how that happens this year, what Sunny Dice can bring that that is different. All right, I do want to flip over to the defense, but before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. This is Brandon Phoenix, aka I also hate pit, joined by my brother. Jeremy J and Fiend Phoenix. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We do the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. If you love West Virginia University, you will love our podcast. If you don't care about West Virginia University, you will love our pop culture segment. It begins every single episode. You can join in the fun anytime, any place. Get at your boys. And we're back here with Melissa Trebosser of Frogs today. Just getting done with Big Toad Media Days. Um, so, Melissa, we, we already talked about the offense, and that's where a lot of, I think, the big soundbite comments came. But the defense was a big issue last year, as we've already kind of talked about. Um, what do you expect different for this year, um, you know, in, in terms of what you have what you heard from Sonny Dykes today or, or heard from other members of the team? Like, what, what are you expecting them to do differently this year that could potentially help them out with a lot of the scheme issues that they had last year under, under Gary Patterson? Well, you know, Gary Patterson famously plays a, a, a 4 2 5 defense, whereas Joe Gillespie is going to be much more traditional front. And so I think that, first of all, going to three linebackers um, in, in his 4 uh, 3 uh, as opposed to the 4 um, 2 is going to help a lot against the run. And that was such a weakness for, for TCU a season ago. I mean, the run defense was, was abhorrent. Um, I'm still worried about them finding ways to get to the quarterback. Uh, they lost Oshawn Mathis. And Kari Coleman is their two best uh, pass rushers from last year um, that both, you know, exited and transferred to other schools. And so can they get to the quarterback? Can they cause pressure? That's obviously such an important thing in a conference like the Big 12, which is usually so strong at the quarterback position and usually so deep when it comes to skill talent on the outside. Um, but I just think, you know, the thing when he was asked about making the hire and, and, and bringing Joe Gillespie as this defensive coordinator, the thing that he said is that he, he always thinks the best defensive coordinators are the ones who seem to play the hardest and that 
when they played Tulsa, um, they never played a more effort-laden team than, than the Golden Hurricanes. And so Gillespie is a guy who they will not be taking stats off. Uh, there, will, there seems to be buying across the board right now. Uh, they'll, and, and people will tell you these players were not playing hard than the last season. Uh, they played really hard that Baylor game, but – I mean, there was just there was a lot of letdown, especially on the defensive side of the ball, which is so foreign to people after watching Gary Patterson's defenses for 20 years. So yeah. um, you've got a superstar in, in Travis Hodges Tomlinson, who's a preseason All-American, one of the best cornerbacks in the country, and he wouldn't be back at TCU this year if he was taller than five foot nine. Um, he is in the NFL. Um, he should be. I mean, he's super, super talented. So he's an elite player. Uh, Dee Winter was put on. I think someone told me almost 30 pounds. Um, and so he was a little oh bit of an gosh. undersized. Uh, yeah, yeah, he he looked freaking huge. Like it was shocking. And, and, and like, and I have mixed feelings about talking about his strength and conditioning program because um, Coach Cos came from Baylor, was part of our royal staff. Um, there's a lot of questions that I want to see answered, um, and and that I don't know what his role in that cover up was or wasn't. Right. Um, He's saying all the right things. PC is saying all the right things. Due diligence, blah blah blah. But I don't know enough of the story um, to have fully bought in. But the one thing I will say is just looking at it from a result perspective. I had not seen these players in person since the end of last season. And when I tell you, I not only had to double take but triple take D Winters and ask somebody, "Is that D Winters?" Before I could confirm that it was the same player because of how different he looks. Um, these guys have all put on weight. They have all gotten bigger. They've all gotten thicker. It's all good muscle. The philosophy and strength and conditioning program has completely changed from the Gary Patterson era. Uh, the focus on nutrition has completely changed from the, the Patterson era. I mean, this is a very, very different program off the field, uh, and it's, it's impossible to ignore how impactful um, Taz's system has been and how he and Teddy Dykes are so aligned in their vision for what strength, conditioning, and nutrition is going to be. And so um, at the very least, these guys are going to be better conditioned. They're going to be in better shape. They have better football strength. And so I think the defense from that perspective alone is going to be different. Uh, Noah Daniels comes back. If he stays healthy this season, then you get rid of the revolving turnstile across from Trey Tomlinson. The secondary should be better for that alone. Plus Mark Perry, the Colorado transfer, they've been raving about him coming out of spring ball. And so he solidifies the back end of that too. Um, we'll we'll believe it when we see it, but theoretically, this looks like it's a much better defense than we had a season ago. Yeah, I mean, and okay. and that's really saying something, right? You right, considering how good Gary Patterson defenses typically have been, to say that you know they fell really far last year. Um, you know, it, you have to think that the talent that they have is good enough because some of these players had been here when they actually had a, a pretty good defense still. So it's not, I don't think it's strictly a talent issue. It definitely seems to have been a scheme issue and not kind of meshing the way that the, the talent that was there was able to be effective. So it'll be interesting to see what other kind of changes they're able to make. Um, if there was one spot on the defense, though, that has you really worried, like what is the one thing that worries you the most that could, you know, snowball out of control and make it so that the defense doesn't play very well this year? Uh, it's definitely the defensive line. Uh, it, there's just so many question marks. They hit the transfer portal really, really hard this offseason, looking for guys to solidify that. But I don't know who is going to rush the passer. I mean, that's really what it's going to come down to. You have so many young guys. Um, you've, you've got, and I think I said 4-3 earlier. It's a 3-4 system. I, I, I was wrong on that. Uh, but it's a little bit transitional. You can play a 4-3 as well. But, um, you know, you've got to bring in a nose tackle. 
um, you know, and, and that's not a position TCU has ever had. So there wasn't a natural nose tackle on the roster. And so then you're playing with, do we go get guys from the outside? Do we try to bulk somebody up? And I'm going to be interested to see you kind of stuff the middle of that. Um, on the edge, you know, you, you've got a, a lot of question marks. You lost your two best players. You've got Dylan Horton coming back for his senior year, who looks the part of an elite pass rusher, but just hasn't really consistently shown that. And then a bunch of redshirt freshmen and sophomores that just haven't had to play significant roles. Um, most people will tell you that the best-looking defensive lineman right now is, is a true freshman. Um, they they we're able to flip a guy um, from uh, Cal and his name is escaping me and I'm trying to find it on the roster right now, but he's, he's a true freshman. He looks, certainly looks the part of an elite level defensive lineman, um, but he's young and they're, they're demonic for him. Thank you. just found it. Um, he's young and, and he doesn't, you know, we, we don't know who he is until he steps on the field. So between him and Doug Blue Eli, one of those guys is going to need to be the starting nose tackle. And, you know, we're just kind of kind of hopeful that, that one of them can step up and, and fill that space and free up the, the edge rushers. But TCU has, you know, not been able to sack the quarterback with any consistency the last two seasons. And so that's going to have to be better. Otherwise, you're leaving your your, your uh, corners and your safeties on an island for far too long, and that's where you get burned because then they're playing differently, which means that the run game is more effective, and it, it just all snowballs downhill from there, of course. Yeah, I mean – that's definitely a big issue, right? Like if you can't get any pressure on the quarterback and you have to, you know, and, and of course defensive line also has a lot of responsibilities in the run game as well. So it'll be interesting to see which one is more difficult for them. You have to think that they're going to be able to be at least pretty good at one of those. Um, and then kind of try to shore up the other one with, with some creative scheming or whatever, or just hopefully hit some of those transfers that they had. But let's, let's jump over to the schedule because I, I think that TCU has a pretty interesting schedule Seems to be the way that they always do it, though, for whatever reason. They have a bye week in week uh, after week two. So they open up on, on September 2nd. Um, and then, you know, the second week after that, they, they have an open date. And then, it, I, I, yeah, just looking at it quickly, like, they don't have a bye week in the middle of conference play. Um, which potentially, Yeah, that's been three, yeah. three straight years of that, I believe, or four. Yeah, I mean, and, and from what I understand, part of that is the way that it has been scheduled with their non-conference, that they leave that there. And so the conference has has to, you know, if they can't find an, an, a conference opponent in that early week, then it's very, very difficult for them to give them a break in the middle. But, you know, yeah. I, I'm wondering how much of that or how, how much of an issue that you think that's going to be. They, you know, they open up on the road at Colorado, and then they also have the, you know, SMU is the home team for the game against SMU this this year. Um, you know, with it being kind of right there, yes, you can say who the home team is, but it's not like it's really a, a huge road trip or anything. But you know, it seems like this year that the the non conference schedule isn't really cooperating very well with them, and then the home and away splits they have are not particularly beneficial. It looks like with you know two potential games that you would have to think are good opportunities for wins at, you know, against Kansas and West Virginia, both being on the road, which makes those games tougher. How worried are you about the schedule? Um, you know, and, and kind of with everything that we've talked about, what do you think is going to be that the most difficult stretch for them? I mean, I think that the schedule is, is pretty brutal. Uh, you know, the way that it's worked out since TCU joined the Big 12 is there's always one season where they almost never leave the state of Texas, and then the opposite season, they're almost never in it. And this happens to be that they're almost never in it season. Uh, and so in addition, you know, you get you get K-State at home, but you have to go to West Virginia. You get Texas at home, but you have to go to Texas and Baylor and back-to-back weeks. Um, 
you know, I think opening at Colorado, I don't think Colorado's going to be very good this year, but you're also taking a very young team on a Friday night game to right. play in high elevation for your opening game of the season. Like that's not an ideal situation. You're starting with a short week anyways. Um, and so that's not a gimme whatsoever. Um, then you get to come back, you get called in in a break. Um, the next stretch though is, is can be what's going to be super super brutal because that at SMU game is going to be filled with emotion not only because SMU's beaten TCU twice in a row but because there was so much histrionics after last year's game and now of course we went and took Sunny Bikes for that so um uh, uh, another reporter here they told me today's even brought up that that could potentially be a college game day game there's just not a lot of competition and there should be TCU 2-0 and SMU 2-0 then you know where else are they going to go there's the way that it works out, we could very well get game day, and that could really, really just fire SMU up. And I think that it's not a muscling game for TC, but it's pretty close. After that, you go Oklahoma at home, at Kansas, Oklahoma State at home, Kansas State at home, at West Virginia, Texas Tech, at Texas, at Baylor, Iowa State. Like, where's the game off? Where's right. the break? Where is the easy stretch? Um, because I think that. You know, Oklahoma State is, is probably the most experienced team, especially at the quarterback position. Oklahoma, you know, they're going to, it's a transitional year for them, but they're still Oklahoma until they're not. Kansas State is everyone's, you know, sleeper pick to win the Big 12. Texas Tech is completely and totally a different team with a different energy around it with Joey McGuire at the helm. At Texas is going to be an emotional game for TCU with, with Gary Patterson being down there, plus it's already Texas. At Baylor's your biggest rival, and then Iowa State on a Friday, you know, on a, on a Saturday after Thanksgiving is, is, you know, with who knows what on the line. But it, it's a brutal, brutal stretch. Um, but, but really just that at West Virginia, Texas Tech, at Texas, at Baylor, those four games are probably going to make or break TCU season. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and kind of like we were talking about, like even the, you know, ones that where you would think that maybe there's a game off or not necessarily a game off, but a game where you can kind of recharge a little bit and still have a good shot at that game, those are on the road at Kansas and at West yeah. Virginia. It also probably doesn't help yeah. that the game against Kansas is so early in the conference schedule. It's not yeah. like, you know, it's not like they're going to be able to kind of get everything going and building up and, you know, like it's not like last year where everybody was, you know, was used to the changes and had kind of figured out what they were doing and it was the end of the season and you pretty much had gotten all the development you were going to get. Um, you don't have that benefit this year, right? You're going to be expecting a lot of those younger players to still be developing at that point in the season, still trying to figure out what exactly it is that they need to be doing. So I think it'll be very, very interesting to kind of see how all of this works out. Um, are you worried at all about the, the placing of that Kansas game? Uh, because I, I do know that a lot of people, including some, uh, some people that I, I believe you put it on Twitter that you thought were your friends had picked the uh, TCU <laughs> to get upset by Kansas. That would be the upset win that Kansas gets this year. Um, how worried are you about the positioning of that game in, in the schedule and kind of where TCU will be at that point? Well, I mean, the thing that you say when TCU is playing that early, they're going to be expecting contributions from young guys. It's an early game for Kansas too. And while I think that Lance Leopold was an absolute home run higher and that's the, Kansas's best shot to return to relevancy that they've had in the last 15 years or so since Charlie Wise. I mean, they're also going to be very, very early in that turnaround. And that's not a one-year rebuild. Um, you know, they, they lost some good players. They returned some good players too. But um, I, I think they're still going to be in a transitional phase. And I think TCU is probably much more established today than Kansas is as far as what they have to work with and what they have to build on. So, 
Um, I, I think that, that while it's an early game for two young teams that are going to be expecting a lot of young players, I think CCU's got a slight leg up just with some of the guys that will be playing critical roles being fairly experienced. And so, um, you know, I don't want to disrespect Kansas. They've played TCU really, really closely a lot of times. It's never, never a game that I, you know, don't fret about heading into. Um, I still just think TCU's better positioned from a talent standpoint. And as long as Sonny Dykes isn't a complete disaster, I think he'll be ahead of Lance Leopold just based on what he inherited by the time October 8th runs around. Um, I think it, I would rather play Kansas in October than November, to be honest, because I do think Leopold's going to get them playing really, really hard, um, really well. And if they win a couple of games and, and start to really buy in and believe that they're going to be one of those teams playing spoiler down the, the stretch for the Big 12. Yeah, it'll be interesting because I do think that, that Kansas has an opportunity, right? They have West Virginia early in the in the schedule in week two. Um, you know, they have a Tennessee Tech game on in the first week, and then they play Houston and Duke. And while you have to assume at this point that that Houston game is going to be a loss, all the rest of those games are pretty winnable. So there's a good chance that Kansas might be three and one um, or two and two coming into this game and have some confidence. I, I, I will kind of disagree with your assessment a little bit because this is a Kansas team that is returning almost every single starter from last year. Um, at, at least in the last three games. And so they have a lot that they're building on. They actually talked during Big 12 Media Days about how much they were able to do this year in the offseason because they had a full offseason, one, but then also because a lot of these guys didn't have to learn what Leipold wanted them to do. It was more about refining what they were doing. They have a lot of transfers that came in, but those are a lot of transfers that are not like in their first year. They've had a year at a college position. They've identified a lot of what they're doing. And there are definitely questions about how well they're going to be able to integrate. I do think that Kansas is probably a leg up in terms of integrating the system that they want to do and those sorts of things. The question always, of course, is how do you get the new guys and how do they integrate into the system that you set up? So um, which team does that better and faster is probably going to be the team that's going to end up winning. I, I do think this is a much more of a coin flip game for Kansas and TCU than a lot of people seem to think because of what Kansas has been able to do and kind of the questions that are still kind of out there for TCU. It'll be interesting to see where both these teams are at at that point. I'm sure we'll have a fun conversation leading up to that game or right after that game, depending on how, how the game actually goes. But uh, Melissa, thank you so much for joining me. Before we get out of here, is there anything about this TCU team that you think people need to know that, that we haven't talked about yet? I, I You know, it's going from a defensive-minded coach to an offensive-minded coach, I, I think is always so interesting and fascinating. I, I just, I think that the Travis Hodge and Tomlinson is a guy that, it's really hard to hate because of how competitive and how great he is. But I think if there's one player that opposing fans need to keep an eye on, it's Quentin Johnson. Um, he has a chance to be Josh Dawson level special, or maybe even more so than that. Um, and and I think he's going to be one of those guys that Big 12 fans love to watch 11 games a year and hate when they have to match up against him. I, I think he could have one of those really, really special conference seasons, especially in Sunny Dyke's offense. So I'm, I'm interested to see if, if we can maximize his incredible talent and, and, you know, get him to be a first-round draft pick by the time the year's said and done. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he's able to do. But, okay, thank you, Melissa, so much for joining me. For those that want to catch your work, learn more about TCU, where where can they find everything you do online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Melissa and at Frogs Today. And, uh hop in on, on our new site, frogstoday.com. Uh, Danny Plunkett and I both moved over from uh, Frogs Award to, to join in on that. 
we do a, a TV show on YouTube. There'll be a week, a daily TV show. It's a weekly show now. We have two special shows recapping Big 12 Media Days, uh, talking about all teams, not just TPU. Uh, a lot of really cool, unique stuff that we're getting to do, a lot of great podcasts and, and shows. And so uh, really excited about the new venture and, and I can't wait for football season to really maximize our opportunities. And that is going to do it for us today. Melissa, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, where it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcasting. Subscribe. Get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments, it'd be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is we, we, we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys, get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can always contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are part of the 10 to a podcast network, which covers all the teams in the Big 12 Conference. Um, really excited about some of the stuff we're going to get to talk about over there on the 10 to podcast in the next coming weeks. But uh, you can catch all the great shows in the network by going over to the website 1012network.com or you can go on Twitter at 1012network to get links to all the great shows that we have. So we are on the Anchor platform. You can you can leave us a voicemail, get your voice on the show. Just go to anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast slash message, uh, and I promise that we'll get you on there. But uh, make sure you guys visit our sponsor, Homefield Apparel. Promo code CHALK12 gets you 15% off that entire first order. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Welcome one, welcome all, and yes, I want you to be listening to the Tortillas and Tanks podcast presented by 1012 Network. If you are a fan that is of a team that has 12 wins, going to the national championships every year, that just loves to talk about all the success that your program has had, well, then you're probably not a Texas Tech fan. However, if you are a fan that just likes to really be in it every week, and, and really have a real good shot at winning it, you're also probably not a Texas Tech fan. However, if you have really high highs and really low lows and really drink quite a bit, you might be a Texas Tech fan. So come along and party with us here at Tortillas and Takes. We're going to sit back, crack open a cold one, eat some tortillas, and, and as always, we're going to stay wrecked, people. <laughs>